Well, good morning, Four Corners. I hope that news strikes you well, as it does me and my family and the church. Yeah, thank you very much. We are, we are very excited, and I, and I certainly want to take just a few moments to thank you for the, the warm welcome that you've shown us already. Uh, this place feels more like home every time I'm here. Uh, I'm excited to work with the staff of Four Corners. You have a wonderful pastoral team. They deeply care for you. Uh, we've met often, and they think often about how to lead better for you. And so you're in very good hands from Pastor Ben through the rest of the team. And I'm, I'm grateful to be here today as we continue in the series about our tongue. And what we're trying to recognize in this series is simply this, that our words matter. That as we talk and, and speak, we are determining our thoughts, we're shaping our actions through our words. Um, that our words have the power to take a relationship to a new level or it can also lead to a relationship self-destructing. That our words are not uh, just simply neutral, that they're very, they're very activistic, that they create certain realities, and that they have the power to change our world. Now, we tend to minimize our words. We tend to say things like, eh, you know, I didn't mean to say that, and sorry I did, or we tend to think that, you know, what we, we don't give a lot of thought often to our words, but in our story today, we're going we're gonna to re-engage this central thought that our tongues matter. And I want to do that by talking to you particularly about the power of gratitude. The power of gratitude. Now, to get started, I would like to sh- turn your eyes to the screen here because I want to show you one of the most ugly words in the English language. Ungrateful. Ungrateful. Nobody wants to be known as this. But here's, here's the thing. While we recognize that in other people, we rarely see it in ourselves. In fact, if someone were to say to you, you're ungrateful, you almost immediately respond back, no, I'm not. And then we rehearse our grateful thoughts and our grateful feelings as evidence of our gratitude. But what we're going to discover today in in the story that we'll look at in just a minute from the Gospel of Luke is that gratitude has a lot more to do with what we say than just simply what we feel or what we think. So to help us kind of engage in this story, here's, here's what I'd like you to do with your imagination. I'd like you to think of yourself as recently stricken with a life-changing illness. You are a leper. So immediately, you're removed from your community. As a leper, you're now isolated. You're either left to yourself, or you are put among other lepers. I think we've got some pictures here that we'll pull up to show you just the ugliness of the disease that you have. As a leper... You have to remain 50 yards from anyone who is clean. Anyone who does not have leprosy. When you encounter anyone who who is clean, who is not a leper, you have to do one of two things. You either have to yell out, unclean, unclean. Or, because the disease will strike your vocal cords and eventually you will not be able to speak, you will be forced to carry a bell and ring a bell. 
alerting everyone around you that you're in their presence. And they will run from you. You will not be welcome in this room. Can you just imagine what you might feel? And speaking of feeling, eventually you're going to lose all your feeling. So you'll lose toes, you'll lose your fingers, you'll eventually become blind. And like I said, you will not be able to speak. So what are you feeling right now? Feeling hopeless? Feeling like you've just been given a death sentence? Well, that's precisely what the, the men that we're about to read about felt. So imagine, you're, you're with now a group of people who are like you, who have, who have lost their family, have lost their employment, have lost their community of faith, and you're, you're sitting in this colony of other lepers, and you hear about the Rabbi Jesus. You don't know very much about him, but you understand that he claims to be the Son of God and he's coming close to your village. But your, your, your ears tune in a little bit more when you hear about this Jesus who's been credited with healing people. So you and nine friends get together and you think, let's go see this Jesus. So you set out to go get as close to him as you can in hopes that something in your life will change. Well, that's the story that we're going to look at today. So let's turn to Luke, the gospel writer Luke, chapter 17. If you brought your Bibles, I'll assume you know where that is. If you did not bring your Bibles, we provide the scripture on screen. So just sit back, take this in. As he was going into a village, that's Jesus, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and now we know why they're at the distance, and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, let's just put a pause on this part of the story because there is a tremendous amount that just happened in those few verses. Jesus is honoring the uh, Old Testament rules of of a leper who has now been claimed to be healed. So what he's saying is, you need to go now to the priest and show yourself. And the priest will testify, will look and examine and testify and certify they're clean, and they'll be able to re-engage their community. But do you notice the sequencing? Doesn't it seem a little out of order? What is, what is Jesus' first instruction? Go. Now they're not even clean yet. They're, they're not healed, but he's saying, listen, go. You, you believe I'm master? You believe I have some spiritual authority from God? Fine, then do what I'm telling you to do. What we call this in religious thought and Christian practice is something that we do often as Christ followers ourselves. We're called to walk by faith, not by sight. There's often times where Jesus will tell you and he'll tell me, Go do something, and none of your circumstances reflect that that something is having an effect. But then as you act in obedience, the effect of what Jesus has said begins to take hold and have a, a, it, it begins to manifest itself. So they're walking, and in doing so, they find themselves healed. And now this is where the story picks up some speed, and we're going to really dive into this part of it. One of them 
when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And then Luke adds that except, he, no one, and then here it is, oh, I'm lost here for it. And thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Now that's a, that's a really interesting addition because Luke is making a point. This is a this is a, uh, a person that by tradition and customs would have some Jewish tradition in their background, but they would have also adopted the religious practices of, their, of the culture around them. So they were thought, uh, they were really despised by Jews of, of natural descent, if you will. They were hated, they were vile, they were not trusted. And it, and it really kind of falls on us as, you know, you know so I'm trying to, th- thinking this morning, how can I help you understand kind of the nature of, of that, man, he was a Samaritan? I mean, Luke's audience would have been like, wow, I didn't see that coming. So to kind of help us think about that, think of like a Steelers fan doing something nice. You would be shocked, right? You'd be like, what? I can't, I can't believe that. So just to help you kind of enter into the story a little bit. So Luke is like, he's a Samaritan. Everybody's like, I can't believe this. And then now notice what Jesus says. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? So what's Jesus saying? Something's missing. Something isn't right in this moment. I thought there were nine other people who, who something profound happened into them. Now, this is kind of where we move on from the story and we say, ah, oh, those bad nine people, they're ungrateful. But here's the thing. The only reason we think those nine are ungrateful is because of one that returned. We, you know, in fact, if you were to be in that moment and you were to interview the nine lepers who are now healed and you were to ask them are you grateful for what jesus did what do you think they'd say heck yes they'd have all kinds of feelings of gratitude they'd have all kinds of thoughts they might even return into the synagogue or the church and they would tell everyone about it you wouldn't believe what happened to me But there's a problem. They're not talking to the one that they have the greatest debt of gratitude to. Jesus. They're not expressing it to the one that it truly matters to. And so what happens is, the unexpressed gratitude is being interpreted as ingratitude. So, here's kind of what I'm... uh, the point that we're trying to make, and some writers have made this too. They felt it, they just didn't express it. And that's the problem with unexpressed gratitude. There's a couple thoughts. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. It just does. People will tend to think that if you're not expressing gratitude, well, the only conclusion I can make is you're not grateful. The next is that it's really a form of rejection. Unexpressed gratitude, I believe, is one of the reasons that many relationships never flourish. 
It's why work teams can't seem to get along, because there's not an ability back and forth to say, man, you're, you are a good leader. You're a, you really contribute a lot to the team. There's always this sense of nervousness and competition that breeds this sense of mistrust and envy and jealousy. That's why ingratitude can take hold of a community of faith. It can take hold of a, of a family. It's also interpreted as entitlement. Ingratitude can be interpreted as, I'm owed this. Let me, let me press in a little bit on this, what I mean by that. I'm owed, after all, you work for me. I'm owed this, after all, you're my spouse. That's your job. I'm owed that, after all, you're my child. You're my parent. See, it's just so easy, isn't it, to kind of slip into the pattern where you take the blessing and you move on because you're excited. You're, you're, you're grateful here. You're grateful in your thoughts. And if somebody asks you, are you grateful? You say, heck yeah, I'm grateful. But have you gone and expressed it to the person that it matters, that you're grateful for? Well, they understand. They, I mean, they get it. They, they, I think they understand. So let's talk through kind of the power then of, of spoken gratitude. Because the story now illustrates the power of gratitude. Verse 19. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The, the, the word well there, if you were to literally interpret it, means you're saved. You're saved. See, here, here's the thing. Expressed gratitude uh, closes the loop. It, it closes it up. It buttons it all up. Now, we get this intuitively, don't we? If you're a parent, you don't even really need to be a parent to understand this illustration. You have a daughter that gets a gift. It's her birthday, and she's tearing through the packaging, and she gets the toy that she's always wanted, and then she steps up and starts to run out of the room. And you're, as a parent, you're seeing this, and you're seeing the person that's given them the gift, and you're going to stop them before they leave the room, and you're going to say, what? What do you say? Right? Now, you're not really looking for information. You know? What you're trying to do is to close the loop. Because you know, unexpressed gratitude, unexpressed words of thank you, specific and to the person that just gave you the gift, you know your child, you don't want their heart to grow ungrateful or entitled. So you're training your child's heart to be soft and tender. Well, I would submit to you that that's a lifelong learning. It's a lifelong learning. The other thing is that expressed gratitude is redemptive. It's redemptive. See, this isn't a, a story simply about learning to communicate nice things to each other. It's, it's deeper than that. 
It's learning to be men and women who connect to God in such a rich way that we're able to listen to Him. You know, when I was singing that song, those songs this morning about God saving us, that the war is over. Do you, do you, do you just, man, you read those lyrics and you go, oh my gosh, He's made it all good. He's made it right. And I get to tell Him that this morning. You know, that my striving and my trying to reconcile this relationship with God, He solved it. He stepped into the gap. And the more that I concentrate on that, the more that I return to Jesus as often as I can and just sit at His feet and say, thank you. The more that I listen to Him, the more that I celebrate the redemption that He's given me, the work of the cross, the more that my heart grows grateful, the more that I can look at the people in my life with the appreciation that they deserve, the more that I see them as the gift that they are and that I'm not owed them. See, there's a, there's a deeper work happening here as people get a hold of this. They begin to learn something that I think is, is very difficult to learn in our culture. It's contentment. It's contentment. It's beginning to just say, man, this day is a gift. My family is a gift. My church is a gift. I love this um, G.K. Chesterton quote. It's up here on the screens. Let's, let's, let's look at it here. Here ends another day during which I've had eyes, ears, hands, and the great world around me. Tomorrow begins another day. Why am I allowed to? I think, I think just think as Americans, we would say, because we've earned it. I've bought it. You know? But can you imagine if we just, call, we just lean in, we just sort of resist that gravitational pull, and we just go, God, today's a gift. This moment that we have is a gift. Here's, the, here's some other thoughts that I want to leave you with this morning about gratitude. Gratitude can be a healing agent in a relationship that's fractured. Perhaps you have a relationship in your life where, um, you know, it's, it's grown a little dormant. That uh, the schedule has crowded out the words of affirmation and, and the love that you feel and you think hasn't been expressed lately. And something very powerful can happen in a relationship when two people make a habit of articulating the love and the gratitude that they feel for each other. Gratitude can also break the grip of envy and entitlement and pride in our lives. Can you imagine a church in which the, the rhythm of that community is this natural celebration of one another. C- can you imagine the power in the homes in Northern Liberty Township where there was intentional effort given to saying, I'm grateful for you. Can you imagine what would happen in your work environment if you're the boss if you began to look to your employees and say, listen, I know you work for me, but I want to tell you 
how much you help me. How much, how much you, what you mean to me. Can, can you imagine within the serving teams of this church, if, if um, you know, that nursery worker back there that's holding your baby, or you went back and you said, hey, listen, you know, every day I check my kid out of here on Sunday, I just want to say thank you. I, want to say, I just want to tell you, thank you for investing in my family. Do you, do you think they, they might feel something? Because when words remain absent, the only conclusion they can make is, wow, this person must feel entitled. And if you're, inter- if you're asked, do you feel entitled? You'd say, no, I don't feel entitled. I'm truly grateful for my wife. I'm truly grateful for my employees. I'm truly grateful for that person that volunteers. Have you told them? Well, they, they know it. No, they don't. No, they don't. So let, let's, let's wrap up with a couple thoughts. Go ahead and pull out your, um, your Connect cards. I want to give you a couple next steps this morning. We'll put some action to this, this uh, message today. One of the New Testament writers, James, says, uh, let our faith and our deeds be connected And so one of our goals here at Four Corners is that you'll leave here with a a plan to put gratitude into action. Because right now you might feel and you might be thinking, wow, there's there's some unfinished business. Well, one of those steps that you might need to take this morning is to say, you know what? Today, I want to celebrate Jesus. I want to ask for forgiveness for the sin that I've done, the things that I've done knowingly and unknowingly, and that he has closed the gap. So we're today, step one, A, is I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Just check that box as evidence of a step that you're taking. The next step is one that I have did when I was in high school. Today, I'm choosing to be baptized. Today, I'm going to take a step. I'm going to sign up for baptisms, which are going to happen at Easter. Today, I'm going to say, God, I'm grateful, and I'm going to give physical evidence to the words that I said when I invited Jesus into my life. Because baptism is an outward sign of the inward decision. It's where people can look and go, wow. Look what God has done in that person's life. Then the next is, so that's B, just check B. Here's the last, there's the next one. Check C. If, this is a challenge I'd like to give us all. For the next seven days, I want to challenge us to find seven different people, one a day, and express your gratitude. Be very specific for what you're grateful for. But I want you to take this challenge. The challenge might begin when you're in the car. And, and you just lean over, and, you, and before you, the car starts, you say, Hey, I just want to tell you, I'm grateful for you. Thanks for being patient when I didn't deserve it. Thanks for the way that you parent our kids. Hey, thanks for believing in me when I started the business and you told me to go for it. 
Now, I know that can feel a little contrived right now because you're like, Andy, if I go do that, my spouse is going to say, ah, come on, you're just doing that because he said it. Trust me, it's okay. That wor- those words will land soft. As you continue to practice them, you watch how that heart softens. So take the gratitude challenge. Would you do that? Check box C. Then we have some steps in terms of what we're doing as a church. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to our decision to merge our two churches. So step D is I affirm this decision. And what we're wanting to do is just say, guys, we sense God is all over this. Do you sense that as well? And we'd love to give you an opportunity to just kind of confirm that. And so by affirming this step, what you're saying is I bless what God's doing here and I'll participate as Pastor Ben told us. You can count on me to be a person of prayer, a person who attends, a person who continues to serve, and a person who gives. I will stay in that mode. Then lastly, the next step is I oppose the joining of these churches. And that's okay as well. We would encourage you to let us understand why you do that so that maybe we can learn something that we're missing or answer a question that you feel. But if you oppose it, check that box. Guys, these are exciting days. Um, These are going to be great opportunities. My thoughts and my prayers are that as a community, this just becomes a rhythm within our our words, the words of gratitude. Can I pray for us this morning? Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I, just, I pray for every single person in this room that has confessed their need for you, have sought your forgiveness, who today is inviting your leadership into their lives. I'm ble- I bless what you're doing in our two churches. And I, I pray that we would continue to be men and women who speak generously, who speak often to the kindness and the blessing that we're receiving from each other and from you. In Jesus' name.